1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. Order. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. This is our final episode of the second season of the rector's cupboard. Yes, that is the name of our podcast. Uh, Allison Williams well is here. Yes, Welcome I am. Allison Ken Bell, Cupboard Master, is here. Hello, everyone. It's a lovely June morning, and the world is about to change. <laughs> so we've been told. Uh, we we rather optimistically, though it didn't necessarily feel like optimism at the time, called this second season when we began recording it in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. We called it Aftermath. Yes, we did. Which, in hindsight, is was very naive. Which it should implied. have been during math. <laughs> during I don't math? think that's What's an actual <laughs> like term. Okay, just yeah. Well, the <laughs> idea was that the pandemic was looked like it might be coming to an end, and the first wave was. And yeah. we just weren't <laughs> anticipating the second, third, and fourth. Yeah, there's been a lot of waves. There's been people count the waves differently. I mean, I do believe historically this is how pandemics have gone. I remember reading. We really should have known better. I remember reading about the American Civil War once that in the early battles, people went out like to watch them. You know, like the ladies in their dresses and the, you know, I don't know what's Civil War eight, late eighteen hundreds, eighteen sixties, and uh, they would go out thinking like, oh, this is going to be lovely. This is this will be like a little skirmish, and <laughs> they let's watch like, war. Yeah, and then four years later. Right, and I think I- anytime you're in anything, we we made a mistake saying aftermath. <laughs> Full but confession. Now we can say it. Oh, uh, what you? Still I would like to. Usually, I'm that. I person. mean, yes, things are. At least we're in our part of the world, in yeah. in BC. Like you've been vaccinated. Cases, I, I have had my first vaccination. I'm but waiting you're super for my young. second. Y- yeah, you're one of the you. last people to be vaccinated. In our like kind of friend group, I was one of the last yeah. ones to get vaccinated. But like you guys have both been double, double vaccinated, vaccinated yeah. double vaxxed. Um, but I mean, sounds. case numbers are trending down. Hospitalizations are trending down. It isn't all that way, though, in the entire country. But BC in particular, we it does feel like we are starting to come out uh, of I was also going to say there's a, there's, a, there's a handful of billion of people, uh, billion people around the world that have also not been vaccinated yet. So yeah. we're doing okay, but I'm not sure we can call it an no. aftermath when you consider South It doesn't South feel like America. that's an appropriate okay, so term. We will not call most of Asia. Thank you. season even aftermath. No, let's because come up with a better season right two and three. June and by October <laughs> or September or August or whenever we start recording the episodes for next season um nobody's gonna want it you know title with something that references covid anyway. no i'd really we're gonna like talk to stop after talking. the interview for this episode about the whole this whole episode is about the future That's and the that. future let me just say it the future looks bright <laughs> doesn't it 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 certainly does i mean we that were sounds told so cliche in our province, i'm just saying we were told that we can travel in our province now isn't it amazing i and mean that got us excited yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've booked some 
some tickets for August to go to Ontario, which, I mean, it's not like the prime destination, Ontario. <laughs> no, it's a but family you're not reason. going there for like the vacation destination. No, I'm you're going, going there for a family matter. Sweat in the humidity. Yeah. That's the, uh, but it's it's hopeful, right? That because right now we wouldn't be allowed to go. But well, well you can. stuff like talking with one of my friends in Saskatoon. Uh, I was supposed to be going to a conference last April and I'd booked a few extra days off and I was going to stop in at her place for the weekend on the way back. I and think the I count- was supposed to go to that conference yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. And the, the conference got canceled so then my trip got canceled and like I haven't seen her for a year. Are you going to go see half. her? Yeah, when I can. It'll be soon because the future looks bright. We're going to talk about the future <laughs> this whole episode. Is but that what we're going to call this? The, the future looks bright. The reason I'm introducing it that way is we have an interview with a... a Young fellow. Oh, is that goodness. <laughs> with a, uh, a young man. With a man named oh, Samuel None Henry. of this is, feels okay, Todd. A person, Samuel has just last year, I think, yeah, completed ju- a... A uh, master's degree at BST. Completed a master's degree at the Vancouver School of Theology. And so in terms of education, education is about the future. Most of our guests, we have had like John Swinton on, University of Aberdeen. We've had... Uh, 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 Rabbi Laura Duhan Kaplan, who's at VST, used to mm-hmm. be at the University of North Carolina. Uh, in terms of education, we often have people who completed to a large degree their education, and then they're, they're on that kind of a, a particular point in the in that vocational arc. Samuel, as we as we interview him, he's on that early part of his vocational arc. It's about the future. Yeah. And so we're going to talk to him about theological education, uh, maybe just before we do that your thoughts uh, or some kind of uh, responses to what are the reasons that anybody would say i think i'm gonna go study theology you're talking to a current master's degree student well, all of us here <laughs> going to school for theology yeah we don't have like a representative okay. crowd in in i mean yeah when i say, look back the three in of us sitting around this table here I'm I'm working on we a master's degree. <laughs> you guys have master's degrees in theology. I'm not sure we're like really the best people to I mean, be I've, asking about this. To a degree, I got it for the same reason that a lot of people go to university to get an education is part of it was required of the job I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have more knowledge and understanding uh, going in. I wanted to expand uh, the people I had read. I wanted to learn about the stuff. I, I didn't know how much I didn't know. Until I, because I grew up in the Anglican Church, I grew up in a very uh, particular yeah. understanding of the Christian faith. I hadn't really heard a lot about, I mean, I'd heard about Calvin, but hadn't really read a lot of Calvin. So it gave me exposure to stuff that I, I came out of it so more aware of what I didn't know well, than what I did know. And I think that's yeah. helpful. I don't want well, someone in the really pulpit who yeah, doesn't exactly. know anything. I am not a proponent of, no education. Know, People, particularly people speaking on behalf of God and it being in religious institutions, not being educated. Yeah, having the only book they've ever read is the King James Version of the Bible. Or the only book they've ever read is themselves. Right. I felt this. God told me this. So, so yeah. let's just not say, I, I'm definitely feeling like education is, is something that is very good so do for people, church work. So for higher education, whether it's theological education or otherwise. Well, I think theological education, the answer might be obvious. For most people is... Are decisions around higher education about money or about interest? I think it can be both. I mean, I I have some friends who have done higher education kind of, they, they, they wanted that to kind of be their career trajectory, but they so loved what they were doing. And they, they really, really enjoyed school. Um, but I think a large proponent of people go to 
to university, uh, seminary, any other higher education institution because it's a, a career thing for them. They either it is an oblig like a requirement for their, you right. know, career that they're wanting to do, or um, but nobody's going to theological school in order with a dream of like making a ton of money. I, has that happened? Well, I mean, I think some people have. I think some people you got are the comfortable. prosperity gospel folks who seem to be doing all right financially. They're not going, no, they're not going to university. Well, some of them, some, some of them, them, yes, some of them have. There's but I think, I think, I think it's a combination of things. I think some people go to university because it is a family or cultural expectation that yeah. this is this is this the is ongoing. Do. You've gone to high school. The purpose of high school, especially if you're going to private school, uh, they're preparatory schools for university and nothing more and people hold it in high esteem that unless you have a bachelor's or better yet a master's degree you're not really an important enough person to listen to so I think people go for that I think some people do it because they want to be a teacher and the requirements of the job or they want to be a nurse or they want to be an engineer and the requirements are you have to do that Uh, I think some people go to explore I think a lot of people go expecting one thing and yeah, yeah, that's falling in love with now. some oh, other yeah. subject. Yeah. I was yeah. going to be, I was going to go into pre-med. I ended up getting a degree in criminology. Where, where did that come from? It's and because I fell in love. An it's been very, it's been very useful in your, ang- in your job as an Anglican yeah. minister. Criminology. What I learned, I learned how to read. I read people, understand things differently, hear different perspectives and respond to them, listen to what's actually behind a theory. So... That has been helpful yep. for me. In uh, thirty, well, I told my kids the other day, I've had th- about thirty-two years of some sort of education or training in my fifty-one years of life. That's a lot. <laughs> I don't know what the number is. And look at well, you've had less formal <laughs> education, but like since you've gotten your master's degree, all you do is read. Like, yeah, I've, I mean, we have yeah. the shelves behind us to prove yeah. how many just books show, you have. Just show the the um, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I mean, some people, it was always interesting, like, growing up, I did like going to school, particularly once I got to the place where it was, like, higher education, sec- like, you can uh, choose post-secondary. Yeah. Um, and uh, I enjoy, I was one of those people that, like, I did not look forward to the summers, because I would rather be reading and studying and learning and, you know, and also <laughs> I think life was a little bit easier maybe than, than, you know, when I was painting houses or something like that. <laughs> but I realized that a lot of my friends, it was, it was the other way around. They, some people yeah. hated going to school. But they felt like mm-hmm. they and had just to. Like just I, I, and literally I know people who have, s- you know, their career could take these two or three steps, significant steps up if they would just go take these courses and they can't. Yeah, they're like I can't. I just can't do school, and it's in, yeah. it's just the the range no, is interesting. No, and I think it's it's interesting because a lot of the people that I knew growing up, not not a lot of people in my general social circle had a ton of um, education past high school, so mm-hmm. there wasn't as much of like an expectation. My parents have been really happy and like proud of like what I, what I've done and accomplished, and but they have a very rose-colored view of me in general <laughs> um, but like they they never put a pressure or an expectation right. that I had to go to university they didn't even necessarily encourage it they're like if that's what you want to do so that I didn't come from from that sort of of background where that was the expectation but I think that there in culture in general there is kind of this well that's what you do and I think that's where it's problematic. Is I think we so look, too. We end up looking down. There's, there's, there's a, a cast, There ends up being a caste system of those who went to university and those who didn't. And those who didn't, we just 
we like them to fix our cars or whatever it is. And I'm not saying anything yeah. negative about mechanics. We all love having a phenomenal mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really don't care if he has a master's degree as long as they can fix my car. Um, but we do some, for some reason, think less of their opinions, and less of yeah, their thoughts, less of their contribution that's to society. And I think that's what's problematic about the system of saying you have to go. And yeah. it's different in Canada than it is in the States. I think the States, there's a way much it's bigger too pressure much more to intense go on. degree. But it's, I think the, that's what's unfortunate. The worst would be if you think about yourself like that. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't do post-secondary education. Oh my God, and I think, think that's that identifying the problem. Less, and that is... Is putting the value statement on it. Yeah. All so I am is a plumber, mechanic, what, whatever right. the thing is. And uh, that's that's really unfortunate and sad because mm-hmm. it's it's just not true. So having said that, we're going to go to the interview with Samuel. Yeah, we He's, are. Uh, we're really um, glad to get to know Samuel. Yeah. And uh, glad that he completed this degree. He has an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him, the future looks bright. Thank oh you, Todd. My gosh. Well, we're here with Samuel Andre, who has recently, I think last year, graduated from the Vancouver School of Theology with a th- theological degree. What's the actual title, Samuel? It's a Master of Arts in Theological Studies. A Master's of Arts in Theological Studies. How many years right. were you working on that? Uh, it's supposed to be two years and two, two and a half years, but I finished it in three and a half years. That's not bad as these things go. So as we mentioned, Samuel was a student at the Vancouver School of Theology and here on Rector's Cupboard, we often get to talk to people who are kind of on the other end of the vocational arc. Uh, They've done clearly all of their or most of their studies and they may have written some books or whatever else and run run projects. And so we thought it'd be interesting to speak with some people who are at the beginning of that vocational arc. And so... Uh, I've had the chance to hear Samuel preach in church and to present at conferences and uh, think he's just fantastic. And so asked if Samuel would sit down f- with us for a few minutes and and he agreed. So let me ask you right off the top, uh, Samuel, you did just finish this degree last year. Um, right. What is a theological degree? Like assume that, you know, there's people listening who, what, you can get a degree in that? What does it mean? Right. Well, uh, I think theological degree, it's a, uh, studying about God, basically, and about the church and about lots of weird stuff that it's uh, uh, kind of useless in terms of economic terms. But but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, theology, not bu- it's not a business degree. No, of course not. Yeah. And and you don't study it to gain uh, some sort of uh, profit, because oftentimes in other kind of studies, like people study and see that kind of study as an investment for to get something right. later on. Yeah. yeah. So but, it's not the kind of thing you go into looking at a career arc. It's, is it more like a, what, what's the more secular equivalent, um, like a philosophy degree or something? I think so. Yeah. Which is what the old, you know, liberal arts universities were. And yes. they all tended to have theological departments or theological schools. Now in the case you were studying on the campus of the university of British Columbia, but at the theological school that is separate from from that university, uh, right. why why were you interested in theological study to start with? Uh, I think why study theology is, for me it's actually a twofold answers. I think uh, the first one is I I actually wasn't really interested in study theology. The thing is I grew up uh, in an Indonesian Pentecostal background, and feeling is a big part of Pentecostal church. 
Uh, we speak in tongues. We even sing in tongues. And wow. if you know, if if someone visited my church, they would quickly realize how weird our church is. <laughs> so yeah, full of people crying and groaning um, every week, actually. So at that time, I didn't really know that that's weird because uh, it's already part of my experience as a young Christian. Mm. But uh, every time I came to church, the spirit somehow never failed to to touch my heart. And and I cannot pinpoint when, but there was a particular moment in my crying and yeah. <laughs> groaning yeah, that I just know that I love God so much and that I want to dedicate my whole life only for God. So uh, therefore, I decided to study theology when I was actually 16 years old. But at that time, I genuinely thought that theological school is actually a school to learn how to preach. So okay, yeah, nothing, nothing can be further from the truth, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, in a way, I can proudly say that uh, my theological journey started not as a result of uh, logical planning mm. or you know calculation, but rather because of my impulsiveness and emotional mm. desire to love God more. Uh, I guess. I, and I believe like most students of theology have this kind of story of impulsivity, especially now in times when uh, positions to become clergy are very limited. Like what else mm-hmm. can be the reason for one to choose to, 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 to study theology, right? And yeah, so that's actually the, the, the first reason. Yeah. But I said it's twofold because that's not the whole story. And this is a um, more interesting one, I guess. And kind of weird also. <laughs> so I was 16 years old when I decided to study theology. I shared with my mother about this. And at first, she did not agree with my decision. So at that time, she said that it's better for you to just study something else, something more useful first. Right. Uh, and then study theology when you're old. Like, uh, So get a career, what... make some money, do what you need to do. And then... Right, <laughs> right, right. And... Um, she asked, like, you want to be a pastor? Like, what do you want to eat? Like, rocks or something? <laughs> I guess she, she didn't know that time that Benny Hinn is actually a pastor. <laughs> and he got <laughs> he got a, a, a private jet, by the way. So, Well, but somehow, uh, so she, she, she wasn't, like, really uh, happy about my decision. But the interesting thing is that the next day, she suddenly changed her mind. And I was kind of confused. She, she was like kind of supported me suddenly. Um, to cut the story short, with her permission, I applied in theological schools in Indonesia, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, somehow there, my, my best friend's father, who was a pastor in Singapore, invited me to study in Singapore with, her, uh, with his church support. Um, wow. Yeah, so I, it, it was really wonderful, right? Now, the night before I went to Singapore for my theological study, my mother invited a woman to come to our house. And my mother said that that person wanted to pray for me. That woman actually turned out to be my mother's neighbor 15, 20 years ago. Um, her name is Helena. She is a Christian, right? That night, Helena told me actually a story, Todd. And, and this story that I've, at that time, I've never heard before. Um, she told me a story that when I was in my mother's womb, my mother... Um, was in very depressing moment of her life um, due to divorce, uh, recent divorce and financial issues that came with it. So due to all those stressful situations and already with the need to support uh, her two children, 
my mother actually decided to abort me. And she did actually, she took pills, abortion pills, uh, hoping that I would die. My mother was not yet a Christian at that time. So Helena, who was my mother's neighbor, knew about, about this story, right? About my mother's agony. She came to uh, visit my mother. At that time, she told my mother not to abort me. But my mother said that she has already, I mean, I've already taken all the abortion pills. Like, do you want to be responsible if my kid born and then with all, uh, you know, organ failures, those kind of things. Um, But Helena just said, you know, maybe God will help. Just pray to God. So obviously I was uh, born healthy and handsome, uh, probably due to the pills I say to my mom. Often. <laughs> but, you know, but my mother at that time was still in her agony uh, when I was born. So she didn't give me name, actually. Helena, my, my mom's neighbor, was actually the one who named me as Samuel. Uh, makes sense. Yes, she said to my mother, since she tried to abort this baby, but he's still alive, this means that this is not actually not your baby, but God's. And one day I think you'll need to give this baby back to God. So Samuel, just as Hannah yeah, dedicated exactly. her Samuel to God. You know, that night listening to, to, to Helena, my mother cried all the time, right? Like she felt guilty about it. But I mean, for me, I was so grateful that night uh, because that story becomes the primary reason why I studied theology. That night I realized that it's not just me who's really interested in inter- in entering uh, this theological journey, so-called, but uh, somehow it's actually God who is first interested in me and called me to serve. So that night I felt special. Wow. I truly felt like, you know, the apples so of God's eyes old, in that sense. How old would you have been at that point? I was 16 years old. You were 16, as you said. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. That's, uh, and then your journey is taking you to here, uh, studying first in Singapore. And then you said through a connection there, uh, finding VST. Now VST is not a place where there's a lot of singing in tongues. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally true. So was that, uh, was that a transition for you to come to a place that is, you know, very North American and has a different way of expressing and talking about faith maybe than you were used to? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely such a journey. I mean, um, well, of course, right now, many, many people in Presbyterian Church like to say that, oh, you are Presbycostal, Presbyterian Pentecostal. But I mean, I, I still don't speak in tongues at in yeah. Presbyterian Church. <laughs> you don't want to know what will happen if, if, if that's the case, right? But yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, when I first came here and then attended the church, there are lots of things that makes me um, makes me feel again as a foreigner, like yeah. as uh, feels very foreign in in a different church, like uh, the architecture of the church, yeah. and then of course the language is a big part of it, and then the food that you eat after the church. That's just not me in that sense, and it's just very different, and um, and somehow. After a few years of adapting in, in North American, just then I began to see the beauty in the liturgical. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the liturgy and all those things. But yeah. before that, really, I mean, hymns, I, I have no idea. Like English hymns, especially. Like, I don't right. know. I, I mean, I always <laughs> sing hill songs. songs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, you go to your average Presbyterian church, like the service with an organ or something like that, those that are left. and But, you know, in listening to you and the amount of contact we've had, part of the reason I wanted to speak with you is that I could tell that your background wasn't necessarily 
um, the same as what you've been in in the last number of years, but yes. that you had a, a deep appreciation and respect for uh, the ways that you were learning, the kinds of people that were around you, the, the breadth of the church, the realization yes. that one expression is what you grew up in, but there's this other expression as well. Um, and now you've had chance to preach in a number of churches as well, right? Yes. So you're someone who's been identified. You're a young person doing this course of theological studies, and someone uh, or multiple people have said, you know who you should get to come and speak. Uh. You should get Samuel. <laughs> and I know why when I listen to you. Um, you're well-prepared. You've done your studying. And I think what I would say that I think is maybe the, the strongest praise is that you have something to say. You have something to say, and 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 uh, which shows me that the study matters to you. That this wasn't just an academic investment. This did have to do with for you uh, faith. What in your studies at VST um, or theological studies on the whole? How ha- have those studies? Are there ways that those studies have changed the way that you see faith, the way that you see God, the way that you see the world? Right. Yeah. Um... There's this quote, and one of my professors, Dr. Richard Topping, always often used this. Um, it's by Rita Felsky. She said this, uh, why are we so hyper-articulate about our adversaries and so excruciatingly tongue-tied about our loves? And, and I really love that. I mean, um, in, in VST, yeah. actually, I studied to express my love, not just, um, not just what I hate. Because the thing is that uh, prior to studying at VST, um, I used to take God seriously, but with so much angst. So uh, so much angst because I used to be so preoccupied with you know the notion of heaven and hell. I, um, it's part yeah. of my evangelical right. and also like who's saved, who's not, who yeah, all, yeah, Fearful yeah, stuff. yeah. And you know, I felt like I must understand the truth and live a holy life, whatever. holy means at the time uh usually very individual personal kind of morality um yeah because i thought that those are the thing those are the keys to be safe right so that mindset somehow affected the way i see the world and others too uh i see the others as someone who urgently needs to be converted to christianity heck i even see christians who believe differently than me as heretics that you know ready to be burned in hell and yeah so the world i see the world as um a hostile place for christians like me you know like um something that i need to stand strong as christians those kind of thing but after i study vst study theology uh i believe that now i take god more seriously yes. but also joyfully somehow uh joyfully because now i see god Mm. I know this sounds cliche, but I see God in the light of Jesus Christ, uh, who loves me and the world, even when I and that very world crucified him. And I see God who's never failed to to accomplish uh, God's desire in embracing us. And I, I mean, that kind of thing, in every courses that I study at VST, that, um, that message always comes up, that God... Um, who loves me and who loves the world in Jesus Christ um, will never fail to to just accomplish Uh. his or her desire. And because of that, I think I see the world and others differently too, Todd. 
as people who I think who are truly loved by God like me. In fact, uh, to the extreme, I see people. I try to see people as someone like me who actually love and desire God too, even mm. when that person um, perhaps doesn't realize it yet. Yeah, they think yeah. differently than you. They might believe differently than you. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. You you put that so well, and and thank <laughs> you for doing so. And the and the Felsky quote, and and of course we know um, Richard Topping quite well, and yeah. and so to know to hear kind of how these things came down to you, and the um, and and just the that sense of the value of, of your education, and you know we started off kind of joking about like you know, theology is useless, but the answer that you just gave us shows us the depth of, of meaning and usefulness and yeah. shows us the limits that we often have in our lives of like thinking that usefulness is, is defined by productivity yes. um, and by a certain understanding of time or something that is, um, yeah. now you're also, um, English is not your first language. Mm-hmm. And so you've, in, in some very practical terms, you've so when you came to, to Vancouver, mm-hmm. um, you knew English, like you spoke English? A little bit. I mean, I, I, I never learned English formally. I learned uh, English actually from uh, South Park, <laughs> <laughs> family guy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I never actually learned English formally. Uh, when I was in Singapore, I started to study English in theology, uh, in theology environment, right? In fact, my GPA, my undergraduate degree was so bad that uh, the principal <laughs> called me one time and then told me, like, if your English like doesn't improve, like, uh, we, we need to kick you out from here. <laughs> I was, I just, I now you have me picturing like an undergrad paper in the language of South Park. A theological <laughs> undergrad paper like done with that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, but you, that means you're acutely aware of the challenges that that oh, yes. students face who English is not their first language. Yes, it must be yes. really hard at times. It must be frustrating. Yeah. I mean, even until now, like, I mean, for this kind of, when it's funny because when people hear me speaking, like often they thought that my English is good. And indeed, I mean, I, I felt like when, when I'm speaking, like it's okay. But when I, because I, I watch YouTube I, again, right. <laughs> all those uh, funny cartoons, but um, in my writing, like my professors would tell you, like, oh, terrible. Oh, really? I mean, and thank God, I mean, VST, they, um, in my school, VST, they have um, free editor. So wow. every time when uh, ESL student like write a paper, they can actually send it to the editor first and the editor will edit it. And, and then we can. Uh, oh, that's so great. It. I didn't know that. Yes, yes. That's so, so fantastic. Uh, yeah, because it, 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 it's the idea, you know, the the concept that you have the ideas, you've done the work, and then trying to, and you can express them in your thoughts, right. and in, in maybe your first language, but then, and even in English, but then, then making that into something that you write <laughs> is something that's very different. Yeah, well, that's the funny thing, though. I mean, after a while, uh, you just lose the the ability to speak even in your first language. Wow. It, like like for me right now, I mean, my English is not it's not that good. Like I said in my paper writings, like my I don't really understand about good grammars and everything like that. But I mean, now my Indonesian 
is not that good right. also like it's <laughs> not that, well yeah it's kind of weird so yeah that's um do you think in english now sometimes yes i okay. do think in english sometimes although sometimes when you know read people like rowan williams like i really don't understand what is he talking yeah. about like some of the <laughs> theological books must be really difficult to read yes 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 i'm reading charles taylor right now for my class with oh Dr. secular Richard age Topping. yes yeah uh, I tell you, it's a yeah. The imminent frame and all these kind of concepts. That he has, <laughs> like, yeah, it's um, yeah. Th- that's hard for people who English is their first language. Yeah. So that's uh, now. Um, you mentioned when we were talking before. Um, you know, a number of people who do theological degrees. There's some that are kind of marketplace things that you're going to study this and then go do some other job outside of mm-hmm. the church. And some theological institutions are are focused towards that. But there's also the stream that many people do theological degrees and then look at becoming a pastor or a minister or something. Um, you've talked about that coming from the ESL discussion. You've talked about the challenges of that for someone who's not, you know, born and raised in North America and, and in yes. Western culture, that that would, you know, that there's maybe some hurdles there for you in terms of that work. What do you feel about that? Is that simply a cultural thing, a language thing? or? Yeah, I mean... Um the the church here is they're, they're very welcoming yeah and i've been given lots of opportunity to um to, to learn about lots of stuff right but um i think in pastoral ministry like i need to be able to really express myself mm. fully in that sense and right now with english as second language and then also uh in my still under trying to understand the culture of yeah. North America. Um, I just feel that I'm not ready yet. But of course, like there's this uh, urge to to serve God. And yeah, I'm not sure whether or not it will be in ordained uh, yeah. capacity. But yeah, my, my hope is actually to, to serve God somehow in some way, maybe like you, like yeah, some something podcasts. else. Yeah, there you go. Well, you're good at this already. <laughs> I can tell. We could like you know review South Park episodes or something. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> so uh, that was going to be kind of our last question: what you wanted to do after your degree? I imagine you're hoping that you continue your relationship with VST. Yes, I I am hoping actually to study to continue my study in PhD level okay. if possible, but we'll see about that. Yeah. Well, it's just fantastic to speak with you. Um, Your uh, your joy is evidence uh, that great response you gave to us in terms of why study anything, not only theology, but pointing towards the things you love rather than the things that produce angst Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, can benefit us all. And so thank you so much for taking the time with us. Um, I'm going to kind of send you off with uh, with the quote that you were born healthy and handsome. (laughs) that's fantastic thank you so much well it's great to hear from samuel and as we close off our Our second season um did you know that we've done like 40 episodes doesn't that feel insane 46 or something i'd have to actually look that up um and in the summer we're going to be looking at kind of summer reading list stuff we have this little thing we're developing called rector's cupboard on the shelf Mm mm-hmm Right? To keep people entertained when they can't listen to us. Because this summer is just going to be crazy. It's going to be so well, This summer, with stuff. everything opening up and with such a bright future, <laughs> the 
the thing people are going to want to do more than anything else. We're in a different sort of. I just know the thing people are going to want to do more than anything else is, stay, is read. Is stay this in their house be, and read. This is going to be the greatest year, summer of their lives. Oh. You mean, what do you mean there? I'm our, not comfortable lives, with this, guys. Lives. It's going to be so amazing. Because my expectations you know why? are way high. Because it's going to be like it was in 2019, which was so amazing. And do you remember 2019? It was awesome. I remember a lot of things about that year. Not all of them awesome. So, Ken, you had a question to ask us about the future. Yeah, I, the question I have is around, when we look back on this whole pandemic thing 10 years from now, are, what is our reflection going to be on it? Are how we going to remember it? How are we going to, are we still, are we going to be heavily impacted by it? Because we're just, for, for those of us in Vancouver, 10 years ago this week, there was the Stanley Cup riots. I bristle a bit about calling it a riot. It was... A few civil, hours of civil, civil disobedience. disturbance. And there were people hurt. Well, there, there were, were people hurt. There were businesses that were really oh, impacted yeah, and stuff. Riots usually have a reason for it. Anyways, we won't get into yeah. that. But uh, We're saying right. sports but fans are like, in the, them being angry about in a the loss moment, isn't a reason. In that, in that moment 10 years ago when we saw pictures of cars burning and, and businesses being smashed, it was all consuming for us. It was, and there were pictures of it. I was in Rwanda at the time. Were you? Yeah, I was. You in, didn't help me move. No, I was. I moved that. I day. was. I was in a. I was in not a. Not a great friend. I was in a yeah, internet nice. cafe in Rwanda, and I saw. I've got Did you this smash news stuff? feed. <laughs> in <laughs> solidarity. Trying, well, <laughs> trying to explain to people in Rwanda who 17 years earlier had oh. lived through. Yeah, that's not a good a comparison. Genocide, and they're saying, why are people burning things? What What's going on? So you oh, because we lost a hockey game. It was a little hard. Anyways, it was a little hard to unpack for them. But Fair enough. In the moment, that was, it was a huge thing for the city of Vancouver. And now this week, most people's reactions have been, oh my gosh, was that 10 years ago? 10 well, years I mean, ago. the so difference is- are we going to do that with mm, the- I feel like this? this is a significantly larger issue than one night. Like and the other Vancouver riot was 27 years ago? Yeah. I remember that one too. That was also because we lost a hockey game. Yeah, we don't do well thing. with we that. Don't, we don't deal well with loss. Uh, it's a good thing that Toronto so doesn't riot after losing. Okay, losing so what games. you're saying is, in terms of the pandemic, uh, the the concept of change would seem to entail that some kind of reflection happens after, where well, we we remember the time and go, and so we maybe don't think take things for granted as much or we that that actually that time was um significant in terms of how we see the world how we see ourselves well whatever. i certainly Is think that, that there there are certain things that um i think have shifted in the last you know year and whatever uh there's a lot of people that i've talked to that have no intention of going back to their office job full-time they will yeah, they're saying that this is going to be the biggest time in history of people quitting their jobs. That they're either going to be quitting it, or I have um, I have one friend who has well, months and months ago already talked with um, with their work about uh, doing two days a week from home because she's like the not having to commute and then get home late and then make dinner and all those sorts of things. She's like it. She's like I don't want to do it full time, but having a few days. A week where right. I don't have that sort of. Well, they're saying they're going to go to this hybrid model. Yep, but that'll be tough because you got to. How do you get the right people in the place? Yeah, there's certainly things to figure out. But I think one thing that that we've learned is, while while there are certain things that are really difficult, or for for some people they would say impossible to replace in a digital way, 
there's a lot of stuff that people just said couldn't be done remotely that we've gone, yeah, but we have the last and I th- year. I think a big part was employers were hesitant to say, to believe that if their employees were working from home, they that actually they'd actually work. And I think what's been shown largely is it it has been. They have worked. They have mm-hmm. been able to get their, their things accomplished. Maybe, maybe I, more. Maybe more sometimes. I, myself, I wouldn't want to work from home. I, I, in I like having a separation between work mm-hmm. and and well, you could, home. I yeah, in your job, you could well, my job, I home. couldn't. But when I was even when I was working in parish ministry, I could have easily yeah. worked from home. Your office but, could have been at home. Uh, yeah, but I, I I like that separation. I like a bit of a drive. I, I have a half hour commute now, and I actually enjoy it. It allows me to make a break to put mm-hmm. that stuff behind me. I know for some people it's different, but yeah. I think that's going to be a change. But how much will actually what, how much? How quickly are are we going to be like this elastic band and snap oh, just totally right go back, back to normal? I don't know. I think there are things where, at least, still currently, like I know I I always have a wa- a mask with me at all times, and I have every intention of if I need to go out grocery snop- shopping, and I'm like, I know that wasn't a real word. The last one <laughs> was it snopping? Um, grocery snopping? I can edit this out. Yeah. No. <laughs> No, don't, because then they'll <laughs> so miss the word I snopping. Know. When I go you grocery... You need a mask if you're snopping. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Especially if you have a fever, too. <laughs> Sorry, you had a very, like, no, I think, a spiritual serious. point. No, okay. thank goodness. Um, that if, if I'm feeling a little under the weather and I need to go out and do grocery shopping or banking or anything like that, I'll wear a mask because that feels like a common courtesy and I've got a million of them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to know, to see if like flu in general goes down, not like it definitely did. It definitely did this year. But, um, though they are predicting a You say, like how quickly will we go go back? And that's kind of the question that's in my head is, like I think of some of the really significant times in my life, like Ken, when you and I used to take groups and, you know, build things and do things in, in poor parts of Mexico and stuff like years ago. And, and you would come back from those trips and you would think like my, you know, my life has changed forever now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it has it. R- it's remarkable how much you go back. But yet, th- I think there is an impact as well if you're choosing to oh, reflect. absolutely. I see it when I watch sports. So, like, the Stanley Cup playoffs are on now. Uh, things where some places where it's full capacity or oh. Stephen Colbert uh, <gasps> in entertainment. Oh, my Stephen goodness. Colbert that was such a full, wonderful birthday gift to me, thing this watching week that one. Oh, did I was wondering when that was going to happen. And, yep. and it feels so amazing. And... It took a while to adjust to no crowds, like watching the playoffs last year, the Stanley Cup playoffs last year with no crowd, like with all those big, you know, seats covered and yeah. Yeah. and everything. And now all of a sudden the crowds are back and for about two minutes it feels odd. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, then it's that's feels amazing. Normal. I think a lot of things will probably go back to, to normal or at least mostly normal. Um, I think there's a, there's a, a good push for people that they really like to forget what happened in the last like year and a half I which i'm not sure balance. if that's a healthy response yeah that's the balance is forgetting is important like forgetting things can be really well, really yeah. important but also if we're willing to ask ourselves the questions not to get too like spiritual or religious or whatever because we don't maybe do that on this podcast. having come through this time i could think about the world in in such ways that help me feel better help me to grow more help me to feel more secure, help me to be able to, you know, bless other people, I would say, by God's grace. In other words, we've lived through a pandemic. We have. And it's been easy for us compared to most people Oh, my goodness, so easy. For sure. But we have lived through a pandemic, and there are ways in which that contribute 
can contribute to our growth yeah emotionally well i hope so i think i've i've heard um someone describe the last year as being very apocalyptic in like the technical sense of like an unveiling a revealing of things because there's been there's been a lot in the last year that things that I have been very comfortable ignoring or being ignorant of or somehow downplaying. Yeah. You can't have gone through this last year without seeing the inequalities that exist in poor and marginalized communities, access to vaccines, access to testing. Like I can remember being like, how are all of these like professional athletes getting as many tests as they want? And yet other people who are having to work like in healthcare yeah can't get tested like they're it it exposed so many things and and there was there's a sense of fragility that and and i'm not saying it in like this really fearful way but going okay so a virus brought the world to its knees for most of the last year there have been companies that have shuttered businesses that have shuttered Hundreds of thousands. Well, of and lives for lost. all of our technological advances, its strategy and vaccines were developed more rapidly than in in other. Well, there was a lot of co- global cooperation and being able to. But for all that advance, uh, technological advance, the the strategy was virtually apparently virtually identical to 1918. Yes, wash, wash your, your hands, hands wear, wear a mask. mask, which is yeah, yeah, and I I think it's. Um, like when I think about the things that we're we're gonna go back to, like even some of the things that we have, a lot of people talk about things they've appreciated about this time. Like mm-hmm. I've realized I haven't been as busy. Um, there's yeah. things that I used to prioritize yeah. that I no longer do. I've been getting. I mean, some people have picked up the COVID ten twenty uh, uh, mm-hmm. thing. Uh, others have started exercising more. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how quickly it's going to be before we're busy again. Before well, we start filling up our calendars, I don't know. before or are, is that going to be lingering? It'll probably be different for different people, but is it going to linger? And the other thing that I've observed is that even though the world's been consumed for the last fifteen months or eighteen months with COVID, uh, le- pointing to sort of your point, Allison, is and yet there's and it seemed for a while the Middle East seemed calm. Like, we didn't hear a lot of stuff. And now, all of a sudden, there's again. stuff happening in the Middle yeah. East again. Uh, we've had the discovery of the, the children in, in uh, Kamloops. Well, and a bunch of other and And, and others now. And, and it's reminding us that in the, while we were going through this thing, that as a human, as, as all the humans on the planet, we're going through this one event together, there's a whole bunch of things we still aren't very good at and we still need to pay attention to. That's, that's yeah. the thing for me, that it... You know those news stories. So you were referencing the Kamloops residential school and the discovery yeah. of these 215 uh, children's their children. Sorry, their remains. Um, this whole time in, in geopolitical events, like today, there's a you know uh, Putin and Biden are meeting, yep. and I think the combination of the pandemic with some of the political things that have happened and some of the things that have happened in terms of you know our society in general. I think most people have kind of in their minds had that concept of how much more frail we are than than we thought. Mm -hmm. How our institutions, we shouldn't take them for granted. We shouldn't take democracy for granted. How things can change really, really quickly. Now, on the positive side, that could lead us to be more hopeful, to contribute Mm -hmm. to these things, to realize how we do have, like, we have it really good in the world and we can affect some change. Um, so I think you realize as we're, you know, most people when they think about future though, um, 
if we're cons- like you know whether it's mental illness like struggling with you know our own emotional health whatever it is so much of that comes from our fear of the future mm-hmm. which is really really interesting well and right? frankly our lack of being able to control that yeah, we think like, oh, things are going to get bad or, uh, you know, this fear of the future where if if through a time like this we can go, okay, things can <laughs> change, can deteriorate rapidly. But in a, in a lot of ways, okay, we're, we're okay. Yeah. And if we can get to the place where we say, okay, I'm going to try to let go of some of that fear of the future. Most people who fear the future, are, most, are not fearing the future because of the pandemic. No. They're fearing the future because of their own, like, what, work, education, relationships, yeah. all those things that are still... Well, and I mean, I think that it is important to remark that for, for some people, that that's not something they're going to be able to move past. No, it would take some some work and some... Um, and that for, for a lot of people, that there have been, like, significant permanent kind of damage that has come out of the pandemic. Yeah, that's... that's and so, like, there there's, there's, I think, an appropriate amount of kind of mourning over what has been lost um and i think an appropriate amount of self-reflection over things that have been unveiled that we have been unwilling to see generally as a society even though people have been shouting it from the rooftops for how god knows how long um but i feel like almost that i want to have this defiant hope in in the midst of that and and not even in spite of it, but almost because of it, that I go, I feel like I, as a person who who holds Christian faith, that I I have this this image, the image from from Revelation, where where God says, like, behold, I am making all things new. And then he talks about wiping every tear away. And so there's like this acknowledgement of grief and of pain and of intense injustice and this hope in in actual restoration and redemption. And I go, so that's what I have my hope in. I don't that's have right. I don't have my hope in whatever my degree that I'm gonna get yeah. is gonna do for me. Like that's yeah. that's not where I find hope. Um and so like I I I feel like there is an appropriate amount of grieving and mourning and reckoning that's coming out of this year that's really well put and it includes the reminder of that counting our losses can be the beginning of hope yeah Uh, yeah i was thinking um there i can see this tension coming up in the next several months even years of on the one side there's going to be people who are going to say let's let's try as hard as we can to get life back to normal back to the way it was let's normal try to was not good for a let's lot of people. try to regain our losses so from a business perspective we lost a million dollars over the cam- pandemic let's see if we can make that back and then on the other side there's going to be people saying let's take this chance we've, we've had glimpses of some of the things that are frail and weak and wrong can we make instead of going back to the way things were and recovering that, maybe we can make things better. Maybe we can make the economy better rather Mm -hmm. than just corporations regaining their billions. We can actually have people uh, making living wages, maybe instead of, you know, and I I think there's going to be a tension there. People saying this is our moment in history to make a large change forward. Or there's going to be people say, no, this is now our opportunity to recover what we've lost. And that's an interesting question, given what Allison just outlined, because you're talking about hope kind of in, in faith, hope in the transcendent in God. And what you're outlining here is kind of 
will people have hope in humanity? Right. And, you know, I would, I would argue that both are important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one is, is fairly precarious for people. And it's, uh, so I want to end this season with a little bit of a, we won't complete this, but you can just start to try to imagine (laughs) it and maybe our listeners can as well for how seasons end sometimes, or you can think of even like sitcom series or whatever. So, um, with like, or, or just those kind of compilation things where you do like a little scenes with a soundtrack with a song behind it. Mm-hmm. And I'm outlining this as include some humor in this. Um, so you don't have to outline it now because it would be, it would take too much creatively and narratively to, but what would just imagine for you, whether you're listening or for all the three of us sitting here, what would the, what would the video and look like and what would the soundtrack be that include still images little video segments <laughs> little of the last of the last 15 to 18 months some of those would be highly personal right there might be a scene of in bc it's going to include bonnie henry if you show oh, her flu yes and what song is going to is it going to be barbara streisand memories um is it, what was the green day one that was the one that um, seinfeld signed off yeah on? how did that end i why why am i now i can't get in my head yeah, I can't remember it. I, and but I'll it might be the green it. day one it might be some other kind of you know memory song and then there's the what do you picture i don't i don't know what the song i i, I look back and what are what are the immediate memories that come to me uh, uh, making sourdough Ah, sourdough so starter and sourdough bread, a there. lot of baking, uh, especially uh, Justin Trudeau coming spring. out of his house in the morning with his yeah, flowing hair, with the ever increasing <laughs> length yeah. of hair. Yeah. Um, we play. We made a lot of puzzles over the last several months. Uh, my wife puzzle is attempting making. to go through every puzzle oh. on the children's ward at the hospital oh. to make sure they're complete. Uh, Good uh, task. So little scenes like that, your scenes? Well, I think of Keith's aunt and uncle coming over and throwing candy at our children during Halloween. So that would be one of the... That's such a wonderful memory that I have of them just literally hucking candy at my kids. Well, I think of stuff like like driving out to Surrey where my mom lives. And for a long time, her and I just did like driveway coffees. Like we sat right. in the driveway and it was freezing and cold and wet, but we couldn't be together, but that was as for, close as we could be. Right. So some of it would be those gathering scenes for some people. It would be like drinking alcohol in the park, which in, in this part of the world wasn't allowed, but now it yeah. is in many parks Ooh. and little circles of people. Yeah. Uh, drive-by birthday parties or Man, some, in, some uh, yeah, the, the bell ringing and clanging, oh, clanging at seven yeah. o'clock. I, I got tired of that early, but anyway. That's confession. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So, okay, so then we'll end with this. So, one, as we said, all of our kind of reels are going to include at least a shot or two of Bonnie Henry. Right? Mm-hmm. Jen and I heard her on um, the radio this morning, and we it took us a minute, because we were in the kitchen, like, getting, I don't know, morning ready, right? And is that Bonnie Henry talking? Because she sounded more chipper <laughs> than normal. <laughs> and she wasn't doing her slow talk well, voice. Uh, where she she's said, trying to be I, Allison already knows this, but I had this little thought question or this imaginative question in my mind because one of the things that uh, Bonnie Henry has said repeatedly through the pandemic and I, I'm a Bonnie Henry fan my wife might be her biggest fan it's possible Bonnie Henry <laughs> says repeatedly now is not the time to let our guard down mm-hmm. implying there is a time that we should let her guard down. So and you're I'm using this wonderful Bonnie imaginative exercise I know exercise. she listens to this no <laughs> yeah. if I if can you please, before the end of this, or as it ends, say, now, now is, is the time, time to, to let our guards down. Yeah. 
Yeah. Have you ever heard that used in the reverse? No, but it should be. But right? it should be. Right now. Well, in counseling, we, we hear learn, And what is it? What happens after you let your guard down? That's a good question. Then things just go crazy. <laughs> the future looks bright. Oh my I got to wear shades. Oh, you said it. Thank you very much. Thank you.